welcome to the Agiostos. My name is Bill Dykstra. Today is December 9th, and we are commemorating the conception by Righteous Anna of the Most Holy Theotokos. Now, I have today as a guest my friend Lyndon. Lyndon and his wife Kyla run a blog called The Byzantine Life. If you go to thebyzantinelife.com, what are you going to find? You're going to find various articles on home life, church traditions, feast days, fasting recipes, and anything to do with the domestic life of the church from a Byzantine perspective. And there might be some other more larger topics as well in that, in that blog. Anyways... Lyndon is going to be here to talk to me about today's feast day, the conception by Righteous Anna of the Most Holy Theotokos. And he's here and he's going to be bringing information about the iconographic tradition about the feast day. We're going to be talking about the Proto-Evangelium of James and what that is. And we're going to be talking about Ineffabilis Deus, a apostolic constitution by Pope Pius IX, which stated that the belief of the Immaculate Conception, that that Mary is immaculately conceived, is an infallible teaching of the Church. So, that should be exciting. That's a tall order for today. I don't know if we'll get through it all. I hope that we do. Anyways, before my interview with my dear friend Lyndon, I would just like to briefly mention that Yes, we're on Facebook, and yes, we're on Instagram, and you should follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and on Facebook and Instagram, you should like our stuff, and you should share our stuff with everyone else, because that'd be really swell of you. If you enjoy this podcast, if you like what I'm doing here, if you like what me and Sarah are doing here, feel free feel free to share with your friends, like-minded folks, or not like-minded folks, who knows, they might still like the saints. Anyways... So, and we've also been asked a lot, how, how does this work? It's all the sword in the cloud. If you go on the Facebook, it's called the sword in the cloud. If you go on to Instagram, it's called the sword in the cloud. But the podcast is called the Agiostos. So how that works is I like to explain it like this. You know that channel on YouTube that's called At First We Feast and it's all about food and tasting different food. That's the channel name. And one of their shows is called Hot Ones. The celebrity interview show where they eat hot wings and guests get all flustered. So the way that it works is the same way that it works with that dynamic there. As Hot Ones is to, at first we feast, the Agios Dose is to the sword in the cloud. One is a project of the other. So... If that's confusing, it won't be confusing in the future when we have more content and more things going on on the sword in the cloud. So, hopefully, that is the end of that for confusion. Let's hope it is. Anyways, on to my conversation with Lyndon. Thanks for listening. Lyndon, glory be to Jesus Christ. Glory be forever, Bill. Sounds good. So I've invited you here today because you were interested. I reached out to you a few weeks back and I'm like, we should just do something. Yep. And you really wanted to do the conception of St. Anne of the Theotokos. Correct. I was, I was trying to like, well, how do we call it again? How do we, what's our big long name for the Immaculate Conception? conception that's right. That's yes. right. Okay. And so I've Next to no research, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know a lot of stuff. Right. So, I want to know what you want to tell me today mm-hmm. about the Immaculate Conception. Well, thanks for uh, for the introduction, Bill, and for having me out tonight. Um, 
I think what I would like to stress more than anything else is that this doctrine, and in fact, I mean, it's it's more aligned with, with the feast. We're going to be celebrating the feast of the Immaculate, Immaculate Conception, the conception of St. Anne of the Most Holy Theotokos. And, you know, it, it shouldn't be a divisive issue, especially among the um, traditions of the East and the West. Mm-hmm. And I think that as Byzantine Catholics, we're in a particularly um, privileged position in order to sort of draw upon the the traditions and the and the richness of, of both explanations and both celebrations of mm. this miraculous and truly and truly wonderful event. You know, it's it's almost like it's almost like an early an early Christmas. I know I know that would be more akin to the nativity of the Theotokos, but this this is truly it marks in history a, a, a turning point mm. for our salvation. Oh, that's really nice. I like the way you just said that. Awesome. Thanks, Bill. Okay, so you're talking about probably the perennial belief of the church. So why don't we yes. start there? Where does this all begin with the conception of St. Anne of the Teotokos? Right, so what, what, where we get this from, I mean, primarily, it, it's a... Almost, it's it's next to a deuterocanonical source. Mm-hmm. Um, we're of course referring to the Proto Evangelion of Saint James. Right. Um, I was recently here. I was recently sure. told this about the Proto Evangelion because I mm-hmm. I said the same thing the other day. Yes, that this is where we get it. And the person I was talking to said, mm-hmm. "Oh no no, mm. the Proto Evangelion gets it from the tradition of the Church." And right. that's where our true source comes from. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked, sometimes I like being corrected. Yeah. And so <laughs> I was like, Absolutely. that's really good. It's interesting how mm-hmm. um, we have all this kind of veneration for oral tradition in mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. historiographical kind of context. Right. But not when it comes to the early church. No. We're like, oh, it was just made up in a few centuries. Right. And it's like, well, no, that came from somewhere. Yeah. So. What I would, and again, I... I am assuming that the individual who proffered that is much more of a scholar than than myself. But I think we can draw one thing. Again, the Proto-Evangelion, I'm not really interested in going into its historicity. No. You know, into extant versions that we have, manuscripts, what what, uh, sort of the scholars of antiquity would Mm -hmm. be able to tell us. But much like how the the gospel I was thinking I'm trying to think of the what's the Greek word evangelion the evangel yeah. <laughs> the gospel of of uh, Saint Luke is the only in a, in our in the four gospels to give us the nativity story mm. what that tells us directly is that it comes from a personal source mm. yeah. right so what I would say um, in in response to that person is that Yes, if we are going to be arguing about the historicity of the Proto-Evangelion and what dates can we possibly mm. put it, 
you know, it it would be, of course, have inherited from the oral tradition of the church rather than a rather than an eyewitness. But we get into right. This is again the proto meaning meaning before or first. Mm. We're getting into some very deep personal family history. Mm, yeah. Is what the proto evangelion is. I just read it today to refresh, and it's yes. really quite nice. It is. And, it is. It's a, a lot of people should actually read it, not be afraid to read it. No, exactly it. It reads in the same fashion of a lot of the sort of extra canonical um, literature that we have in our church, the um, Shepherd of Hermas and, and mm. other 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 writings, the the the, the epistles of Saint Clement, those that just never they didn't carry with them the weight and the and the liturgical celebration that that eventually led the Holy Spirit to have us define as canonical. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think I think. Uh, that you're exactly right. I would encourage other other folks to get into the text sure. itself because, right in the same in the same manner that you know we can't rely on it with the ascent of faith that we can on sacred scripture, mm. it does it, it it reads you know it gives us that same sort of devotional aspect that we get from the the lives of the saints. Oh, absolutely. You know what I think for myself. I had I was just getting into the church before the whole Da Vinci Code thing mm, right, took place. Right. And what was the big big thing to avoid were the Gnostic Gospels. Mm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it made me think that, you know, the only thing that you can really read is scripture. Mm-hmm, but it's not mm-hmm. true. There are other epistles and there are other saints' writings that are contemporary um with the with the epistles of mm-hmm. like Paul. Yes. And and onward. Yes. Uh, we just need to know the difference between the two of them, right? Right. And so I think, for me, I grew up with a certain kind of prejudice mm-hmm. against Absolutely. early writings. Because, Absolutely. Because, oh, they're Gnostic. Yes. But no, the Proto-Evangelion is quite quite uh, a good thing to read. Yeah, absolutely. And before I I lose the point, I did want to kind of jump back to the personal sources. So again, and I know uh, I already just mentioned that I don't really want to get into the battle of historians about the text, but what the text tells us is that again, attributed to St. James, a a personal relative of our Lord and God and Mm -hmm. Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is a family story. Oh, right, the yes. the details, the the dates. Like again, we we that's how we're able to place the the date of uh, the um, the the celebration is because in 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 this thing it tells us what month Kislev, uh, the the Jewish month of Kislev, Hebrew month of Kislev, which which essentially um, corresponds with December, um, and all of these other these other details. So whether or not. Um, this was penned at a later date. Mm. We we do know that the the original source of this has got to be someone who was very close to um, familial. The, exactly the Holy Theotokos and our Lord and God and Savior mm-hmm. Himself. Yeah, because these sorts of stories um, just just reflect that that really intimate knowledge. That's okay. So that that's that's kind of a brief overview of some of the some of the background to the text. And what we get again, and so this again, I don't, I don't, again, I don't want to get into the, the historical arguments because the, the account of the events leading up to the, that most holy conception of, of, of the Theotokos, they, they read a lot like 
the stories of barren conceptions in sacred scripture. Mm -hmm. So again, critics would say, oh, well, they just simply copy and pasted the the narrative of like Abraham and Sarah because it reads a lot of the same way. But I think, again, if if we sort of um, look at it through the the eyes of faith, we can really see that God has a providential care for people who are, who have difficulty conceiving. Mm-hmm. I think that's, and, and again, it's also, God could have chosen, again, any numerous ways or events that would have led up to the conception of the Theotokos. But this, I think, is what we can consider the most fitting. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be the most fitting that the most holy Theotokos would be conceived mm-hmm. in a similar manner to, um, to, to the offspring of, of Abraham, who really, again, mm. it leads us back to the roots, to the foundation, where, where God is, is renewing covenant. He is leading people. He's leading his people like he led Abraham, you know, mm. into, into the, the reign and the era of the Messiah, mm. which is, which really begins at this, at this critical moment. So with, with that, with that being said, the, the, the narrative essentially follows that um, it, it's so this this actually I, I want to bring up now the one major difference that one would see between the the story leading up to to the Theotokos's conception and the difference between um, Isaac thank again I, I was thinking who who was Abraham's son he had a son and this is right. this is exactly the, the parallel with with the conception of, of Isaac mm. is that Joachim, was told by his friends, essentially, you must be a really bad Jew <laughs> because yes. you don't have any kids. Mm-hmm. And what the, the, the message then, so and Joel Kim is like, he's, he's really like offended, but also confused because yeah. he is a holy man. Mm. And so well, go I ahead. like his, I like what he, what happens next. Yeah. So what he does is he goes to essentially the registry, the the ba- the record of births and baptisms, essentially in a, in sort of a contemporary parish context, yeah. and he goes to see who else among his contemporaries have had kids, and he finds that he is the only man in yeah. Israel at that time who had not fathered a child, and this just really it really hits hits Joachim like. Wow, God, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I must be a really bad guy and not even know it. Like, you know, he was, he's also recorded as being a very rich man. Yeah. So again, those would have been signs of blessing in a Semitic context, in that ancient mm-hmm. Hebrew context. And, you know, but without a child, those sort of material blessings would mean nothing, especially because that's something that someone comes up and tells him like, Joel can get your, get your, uh, poop in a group, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, so yeah, and then, and then we, we kind of, we go on with the, with the story. And again, it's a very, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting turn of events because they, they talk about Joachim essentially going out into the wilderness to live full time 
with his herds, mm. right? And this this seems kind of like a bit of a bit of an, an odd thing to do, or or perhaps for us, we we don't really have the full context of what that would have looked like. Mm. But for a shepherd, um, again, we can see some contemporary examples of this with Bedouin. Mm. They travel like yeah. you have to, especially especially in that in the in the um, Near East. Um, geography, you have to travel, especially if you're a, a man with a large herd of animals, you have got to travel a long way in order to get enough um, grazing pasture for your, for your animals. Mm-hmm. So again, this isn't just Joachim camping out in the backyard, right? He's, <laughs> he's literally gone because, and we can, we, can, we can kind of understand that because Anna, the holy and saintly Anna, she has two lamentations, it tells us yeah, in the text. Yeah, two lamentations. The lamentation of her widowhood. Yeah. Because Joachim's He's gone. gone. Yeah. He's gone with the flocks. And then the lamentation of her barrenness. Mm. So that's also something that, that sets this story apart yeah. from, from the other tales of, of um, barren conception that we have in our, in our tradition. So that is interesting. And so in response to that, oh, sorry, we're going to say like something about I like how they both have their own kind of trajectories in this. Yes. And it records both of their experiences. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Exactly. And that plays a really important part. I know you wanted to talk about the the tradition of iconography of this, mm-hmm. particularly the, this feast. So right. it's it's both a what we would consider sort of like a narrative icon as well as a festal icon. So that that's kind of an interesting an interesting distinction because in our tradition especially around the lives of saints, we might recall certain events in the life of that saint, mm-hmm. but then we also recount we also have icons that recount feast days. Yeah. So this has that kind of unique position of being both because in, in that history, there's always, you know, the telling of the story of their story within that icon scene. But, um, sorry, sorry, I digress there a bit, but to get back to the, the narrative itself. So yes, we have the widowhood and the barrenness mm-hmm. of the Holy St. Anna. And it's interesting because in the next sort of section of the, of that, of that narrative, we have her receiving a vision from two angels. So again, this is, this kind of set, it sets it apart from the holy annunciation of our Lord God and savior himself, Mm -hmm. who is the archangel Gabriel. And we're, we're told also that Joachim himself had received an angel as well, Mm -hmm. but Anna, Anna receives two and I'm no scholar, but this seems to be an indication as our response to both of her lamentations. Oh, that's that's really nice. Yeah, I wouldn't have. I didn't think. I didn't think of that. Yeah. So so that's pretty beautiful. Because because she had two lamentations, two two distinct two distinct sorrows. Right. You know, maybe again, I'm I'm sort of just coming. This comes off the top of my head. This kind of plays into the seven sorrows of our of the Holy Theotokos. Right. So there's one. There's one angel for each of the lamentations of of the Holy Saint Anna, and it again it it, pl- it plays out again with in a very in a very familiar way of you know tidings of blessing and that you know you will have this this really this blessed child, but this is sort of again where the difference is is because rather than the spirit of God overpowering the Holy Theotokos at the Annunciation. We have the rejoining of Joel Kimanana. And that is that is what 
is captured most mm-hmm. prominently in the iconography is not the actual action of the conception, but of the embrace of Joachim and Anna when they when they are reunited following their their period apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's also it's there are some iconography that in, that, that does include the Mother of God. You know, yes. after she's born. That's true. But this doesn't. No. It's just their own experiences with God have brought them back together. together. Yes. And it's interesting though, there's there's a there's a few different schools that have that have produced representations. So I think I think I kinda wanna talk a bit a bit now about the iconography because Sounds good. Because it's when we get to this part here, right? I mean essentially after this moment leading up to the actual, the nativity of the Theotokos, which we celebrate on September 8th. Mm. Um, the, the, the next events in the Proto-Evangelion are really all about um, the Holy Theotokos in the temple. It talks about her, her experiences there and then sort of peters off. Like that, that's the, 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 the majority of the text is actually about the, the the life of the Theotokos as, mm-hmm. as a child, as an infant, leading up to to um, betrothal and, and whatnot, leading into the into the go- the gospel narrative. Um, so we're we're left with a few details, some beautiful things, like mm-hmm. like you mentioned, Bill, with you know the 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 separation and the coming back together and all of these different mm-hmm. aspects, which which lend a lot of uniqueness to the to the story. Um, but um, but no, actually, the majority of the Proto-Evangelion is about the Theotokos herself, mm-hmm. and not necessarily about Joachim and Anna, which is which is the sort of the introductory uh, introductory part of the text. So with the with the uh, tradition of the iconography, there's a couple different um, schools. Some will focus primarily on the embrace because mm-hmm. it talks about how when when Joachim and Anna returned to each other's company, she, she hung from his, from his neck. Like mm-hmm. it was right. And we also, we also have to remember, this was something I, I think I kind of overlooked in my, in my discussion of it. But again, Joachim and Anna are of advanced age, mm. right? They're, they're very much, a um, uh, in that, in that tipple, uh, type model of, Abraham and Sarah. Yep. So they're 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 elderly people, and they were able to conceive and bear um, the most holy Theotokos. So in the in the in the icons itself, we have that kind of you know the focal point. Really, the focal point are the two characters of Saints Joachim and Anna and their embrace. But I think the more ancient traditions, typically, and this this is this is very common in a lot of the more ancient. Um, sources is that they they bring out scenes from the Proto-Evangelion, like those. It's 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 more about the story than just about the character than mm. those than just those characters. So, yeah. in in a very um, telling icon, the actually the Joel Kim and Anna Saints Joel Kim and Anna, they're not the center of it. They're they're they they're they're a focal point, but they're near the bottom. The center of the icon is actually Jerusalem. So we so we have again that that hearkening to the tr- tradition of especially the deeply scriptural tradition of the Theotokos being the New Jerusalem, yeah, and their coming together is the start of the New Jerusalem rather than it being an mm-hmm. apocalyptic end times phenomenon of yeah. 
the recreation of Jerusalem. The recreation of Jerusalem, the recreation, the start, the sort of the founding that would lead to the re, the, the new temple of our of the body of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ is this moment. Mm. That's when the new Jerusalem becomes a reality. Yeah. Is in the conception of the most holy Theotokos. Um, additionally, um, to Jerusalem being the focal point of the of the icon, there is sort of in the peripheries on 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 the on the two sides we have the separation of Saints Joachim and Anna. And at that and you and usually in the icons it's the moment of the revelation of the angels to them. Okay. So those are kind of the the three main parts of the uh, what I would call the the typical icon of mm-hmm. of this. I think a lot of especially in our more contemporary sort of schools of thought in iconography, typically the extra parts, the 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 prominence of New Jerusalem, and then some of the other the scenes from the Proto-Evangelion are omitted, and just the figures of Saints Joachim and Anna, mm. excuse me, are are left because again, there's that idea that well, the icon is really about our devotion to that person, the connection to our Lord, of course, mm. but you know through through the image of those individuals, right? And so, I think though that that there is of course there is room for all of that in our in our tradition of iconography okay. um but you know i think that there's so much there's so much teaching capability in having rich icons i think the problem is we've lost the ability to tell the stories oh yes so yes. I think that that kind of leads to a minimalist approach. That's like icons are for personal devotion. Yeah. You might hang them up, especially, and we even see this in, in the Latin right church is just hanging up a nice, isn't it nice to have a picture of so-and-so? It's, a, yeah. it's sort of like, oh, totally. it's, and even in that image of the two couples embracing, it's mm-hmm. a lot more palpable yeah. and a lot more maybe accessible for, it's like, oh, I know, I remember what it was like for me mm-hmm. to tell my husband that we were, we were expecting. Right. And then that for me, that that's the immediate connection, but mm-hmm. really that's in the periphery of the greater story. Right, right, and thank you so much for interrupting me there, um, Bill, because it just occurred to me I forgot. I'm, it was sort of like the fourth crucial element of that icon I was describing to you is the bed. Mm, is yes. the is the bed because that's right. Like we don't obviously there's not going to be a graphic portrayal of the bidness mm-hmm. of the conception, mm. but there is still there because you have to be able to say that this was a natural conception, Yeah, but it was immaculately preserved by the grace of God. Mm. So, so that was one thing I, I, I omitted was that typically it, it's, again, it's sort of portrayed off to the side yeah. of the characters of Joel Kimmanana, Joel Kimmanana, but it's, it's still, it's still there, but see exactly in, in, in the personal icons where it's just the two individuals, there's no bed. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of looks like they're hugging in, in a similar way to what we see with um, the popular icon of Saints Peter and Paul embracing, yeah. right? You know, obviously there's no further connotation in that image, mm. but you know, one might, again, if you're not telling the story of the icon and really getting to, to know it and, and the characters and their lives, you might kind of be able to, on a very superficial level, just see it as, oh, well, it's just Saints Joe, Kim, and Anna. They're a lovely old couple yeah, giving yeah, each yeah. other a hug and yeah. miss the the implications and the deeper meaning, which is that's where we get the Theotokos. Interesting. 
Okay, so that was an excellent description of the iconographic tradition of the Eastern Church. And I think in doing so, in, in, in saying that, there has been something that's been coming up for me lately. Mm-hmm. That the real difference between probably, if you want to use East and West as kind of the descriptors, yeah. the real difference in our celebration of these days, aside mm-hmm. from the day off, right, is that we're more connected to the events yes. of the Immaculate Conception, mm-hmm. where in the Western Church, it's more about the doctrine. Right. And I think that's a good segue to talk about the Apostolic Constitution mm-hmm. that was put out in, it was 1850. Yes, around there. Around there. Yes. By Pope Pius IX, mm-hmm. declaring that the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is infallible. That's the word that I was looking for. Yes. <laughs> that's the key word. <laughs> Anyways, so I know... We have both read it, yes. and in the and in the um, Apostolic Constitution, a lot of there are multiple references to the fathers of the Church. However, not explicitly which ones. Yes, and so correct. Lyndon, you've looked up the patristic sources mm-hmm. for the Immaculate Conception. Indeed. So, why don't you go into that, see what you found? Absolutely. Yeah. And this is by no means an exhaustive list. No. But I do think <laughs> that this represents a very significant um, a very significant example of of this tradition and that it is it is ancient, it is worthy of belief and yeah, I think I think uh, the thing the one thing I would add to to what uh, you just really expertly said there, Bill, was that by the providence of God, mm. the first infallible statement yes. of a pope in the church was on this topic. Mm. And it is, I think that only time in history will tell what God's ultimate plan was in doing so. Mm. But I think it is, it is very significant that, you know, a, it wasn't some sort of Christological thing. And I know, mm. I know like transubstantiation, transubstantiation, the mystical forming of the bread and wine into the body and blood of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ is already dogmatic. Mm-hmm. But you would think, again, maybe this is just sort of my own musings, that the first infallible statement of a pope would be on something like ecclesiology on Christ, on the Eucharist, on Christology, something. But no, it was about this, that that which we celebrate, the mystical and holy immaculate conception of the most holy Theotokos. So that being said, I think I would, if I may, share a little bit from St. John of Damascus Mm -hmm. on this. Now, what I, the the passage that I found that really touched me Mm -hmm. on sort of on on this topic comes from the font of wisdom and specifically he has three sort of separate treatises treaties on the dormition of of the theotokos but he kind of goes he he gives a a sweeping praise of the theotokos's life which it's beautiful and I again I encourage everyone to to find copies it's freely available to mm-hmm. us you know, <laughs> I, I sometimes think that we don't we don't appreciate you know that 
that St. Augustine or St. Thomas Aquinas or even St. John, John of Damascus would, you know, hopefully not kill, but they would do anything to have the access to knowledge that we yeah, have yeah, today. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Anyway, to sort of move on, this is, so this is a, a direct quote from St. John of Damascus on his treatise on the, on the Dormition. Quote, the birth of her whose child was marvelous was above nature and understanding, and it was salvation to the world. Her death was glorious and truly a sacred feast. The father predestined her. The prophets foretold her through the Holy Ghost. His sanctifying power overshadowed her and cleansed her and made her holy and as it were, predestined her. Then thou, word of the Father, not dwelling in place, didst invite the lowliness of our nature to be united to the immeasurable greatness of thy inscrutable Godhead. Thou, who didst take flesh of the blessed Virgin, vivified by a reasoning soul, having first abided in her undefiled and immaculate womb, creating thyself and causing her to exist in thee didst per become perfect man not ceasing to be perfect god well there you have it there it is right there <laughs> what more do we need to say okay let's go home yeah okay th <laughs> thanks bill and yeah. that's been agiostos yeah with bill dykstra <laughs> Right, it's 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 funny and it's pretty definitive. And this this text that I'm reading is actually it comes from a, a public domain Anglican high Anglican document from from the eighteen I think eight, late eighteen eighties. Like it's oh, wow. yeah, it's it's not this isn't this doesn't even come from a particularly quote unquote Catholic source, mm. but it, it's just one of the public domain uh, translations that's available, but exactly right. And I think this was actually something that you and I talked about before, before we uh, started recording bill, but that word immaculate mm. in, in the Greek, we have, we have it as ahrantos in, in church Slavonic, it's neporochne. It, it can be translated into English in a number of ways you know, spotless or undefiled. Like it's, it's one of those words where it's, it's a negative, it's a negative word, right? It's ah for the mm. negative in Greek yeah. in hrantos. So undefiled. Um, but the translator, right? Cause this was obviously a scholar translating directly from the Greek chose immaculate. Yeah. Like it just, it, it's the, it's the perfect English translation that we have for this, for this word. So I think it's, it's, it's quite significant. Um, and I think, uh, St. John of Damascus has been called the, the Aquinas of the East. He's a, mm -hmm. he's a doctor of the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, just, a, so you could mine his, his works almost, um, indefinitely. He is, he is, a he's a powerhouse of theology and is venerated highly both East and West. So his, his words aren't to be Aren't to, aren't to be taken lightly in terms of... You don't of, just scoff at that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think we also, we both had found this, uh, or a, a portion of this beforehand without even talking to each other, but the next um, patristic source I wanted to reference was St. Andrew of Crete. Mm. And he's 
most well known for a a canon that he composed yes. for Great Lent, mm-hmm. and in in the in the Slavic tradition, um, it's celebrated in a service called the Poklone, mm-hmm. which which means the 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 prostrations. In, yeah. in English, we would say we would say the prostration service, and that's because how it, many prostrations do we do? Oh, I think it is one hundred and fifty. I think that that was he was going for the psalm number mm-hmm. again, keeping it scriptural. I I could be wrong, so you know. Okay. Mention in the comments if I'm wrong, and yeah, and, and disparage me horribly. <laughs> I won't take it personally. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> anyway, Saint Andrew of Crete. Yes. Um. Says the following. Quote: Who indeed? Was this virgin, and from what sort of parents did she come? Mary, the glory of all, was born of the tribe of David and from the seed of Joachim. She was descended from Eve and was the child of Anna. Joachim was a gentle, pious man raised in God's law, living prudently, and walking before God, he grew old without a child. The years of his prime provided no continuation of his lineage. Anna was likewise, God-loving, prudent, but barren. She lived in harmony with her husband, but was childless. As much concerned about this as about the observance of the law of the Lord, she indeed was daily stung by the grief of childlessness, and suffered that which is the usual lot of the childless. She grieved, she sorrowed, she was distressed, and impatient at being childless. Thus Joachim and his spouse lamented that they had no successor to continue their line. Yet the spark of hope was not extinguished in them completely. Both intensified their prayer about the granting to them of a child to continue their line. In imitation of the prayer heard of Anna, but both without leaving the temple fervently beseeched God that he would undo her sterility and make fruitful her childlessness. And they did not give up their efforts until their wish became fulfilled. The bestower of gifts did not condemn the gift of their hope. The unceasing power came quickly in help to those praying and beseeching God, and it made capable both the one and the other to produce and bear a child. In such manner, from sterile and barren parents, as it were from an irrigated tree, was born for us a most glorious fruition, the all-pure virgin." Mm. So again, I think St. Andrew goes a little bit more into the, the history and describing the, the Proto-Evangelion of St. James. But again, mm-hmm. what's the, the end? The all-pure virgin yes. is who we, who, we are, who, we, who we receive through this. And I think it's also interesting to note here that um, we, we, Bill and I are both trying to rekindle that love of using the, the title Theotokos when we talk about Mary. Oh, she's, yeah, some, she's sometimes just called Virgin Mary or yeah. Mary, but us referring to it as Theotokos, you know, it's it's kind of that, that revival. But it's interesting to note that in the Greek tradition, and it's carried on today in, in Greek-speaking Orthodox churches, that they, they hardly even use the word Theotokos outside of the liturgy. What, what, the, what the common parlance is, mm. is Panahia. Yes. The all holy. Mm. That when they say Panahia, they, they mean all holy. They mean Mary. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that that's, that's, first of all, it's a great, um, 
it, it's a great correction of the of the West's sort of falling away from from that um, from that tradition. I know that you know in the West there are also venerable traditions. Yes. You 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 nod, you bow the head at the mentioning of the name of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, I know that the soon to be blessed, God willing, and God be praised, Fulton Sheen mm. would always refer to to them as our blessed Lord. And, our, and the Blessed Virgin or our Blessed Mother, mm-hmm. which is, again, part of that tradition of the West. But I think that we can step it up, especially and especially as, up. especially as Byzantine Catholics. Let's reclaim our tradition, Panachia, Theotokos. Mm-hmm. These are our words. It is our tradition. And Mary is our mother. She is our mother. And that's I think that's that's the most important um, thing to remember there. Um, the, the last... Patristic source that I had. And my favorite. Well, my favorite lately. I just finished the his ethical discourses. <laughs> oh, wow. And now, and I'm on to just his life of mm-hmm. St. Simeon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why don't you get on into it? I'm excited to see what uh, you have to say about him. Absolutely. And actually, this this is specifically, I, I, I pulled this because it's, it's a discourse on the most holy Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And in that discourse... He, he he perfectly sums up our patristic and Eastern understanding of, of... So is it a sermon on the Eucharist? Um, that's a good question. I believe... No, it's from the first ethical discourse. Oh, okay. So I've yeah. read this then. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. <clears throat> okay, so this is this is uh, Saint Simeon, the new theologian. So it's, it's titled in this article, on the, on the Theotokos and the Eucharist. Quote, <clears throat> The same... The same undefiled flesh which he accepted from the pure loins of Mary, the all-pure Theotokos, and with which he was given birth in the body, he gives to us as food. And we eat of it, and we eat worthily of his flesh. Each one of us receives within himself the entirety of God-made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and Son of the Immaculate Virgin Mary. He is present in the body, bodiless, mingled with our essence and nature, deifying us who share his body, who became, who become flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. This is the mystery, all full of holy terror, which I hesitate to even write about, and I tremble in recounting. Recounting, Thus, while from his Immaculate Mother he borrowed her Immaculate Flesh and gave her in return his own divinity, O strange and new exchange, he takes no flesh from the saints, but he does make them sharers of his own deified flesh. Just as we all receive of his fullness, so do we all partake of the immaculate flesh of his all-holy mother, which he assumed. And so, just as Christ our God, true God, became her son, even so we too, O ineffable love for mankind, become sons of his mother, the Theotokos, and brothers of Christ himself. I can see why you saved that for last. <laughs> that's very, that's awesome. Yes, yes, absolutely. And again... Right, this it's it's interesting too. Um, I know that it's a very sore point for our separated 
Orthodox brethren to to sort of drag on about this immaculate nature and and all of that. But look at the sources. Mm. Saint Simeon. Yeah. Again and again. Po- again, possibly this could just be the translator's r- rending of Ahrantos. Mm-hmm. But it's the most accurate, mm-hmm. and it and it perfectly fits into our the tradition of everything that we've been saying. So yeah, I I like I like this. I think one thing I want to want to stress though after having read that is <laughs> we don't want to risk falling into the heresy of the Palmarians. And what was the heresy of the Palmarians? Uh, it's a uh, that's a good question, Bill. It's actually a current heresy. It's a con- you could say a contemporary heresy. Um, they actually hold um, that. So I'm I'm referring to the Palmarian Church of I think it was of Palmero de Troyo. It's a Spanish heresy that holds, amongst other things, that in the Most Holy Eucharist subsist both Jesus and Mary at the same time. Oh. That you also receive the body and soul of Mary. In Holy Communion, ah. and one can can glean a bit of that from from Saint Simeon's writing. I think it's, it's well. That's what Saint Simeon is like. Yeah, he walks right to the edge mm-hmm. of what's Orthodox, right, or what's what's considered um, canon, right, right. But then steps away. <laughs> no, and I think, but it's important, right? Because when we say the, that formula, body, blood, soul, and divinity, yeah, we have to admit that. Genetically speaking, the body and blood shares a direct linkage to Mary. And I think that's what that's what St. Simeon is pointing out, which yes, is the Orthodox absolutely. understanding. Yes, absolutely. And not that we actually receive Mary mm-hmm. as we receive the Lord. But it's that connection. And I and I think I think St. Simeon says it says it most uh um beautifully there. But yes, no, the Palmarians uh broke off from the church subsequent to Vatican II. Mm. And they considered themselves a traditionalist reformist group. Mm-hmm. However, shortly after, and I mean, if you if you see if you see pictures of their churches, they look like they look like Spanish Gothic cathedrals. It's mm-hmm. it's rather beautiful in in a sense. But their newly elected pope, shortly after taking office, said that he had a series of revelations from Jesus and Mary. Oh, I think I know about this. And he changed the Bible. He said that there were parts of scripture that needed to be clarified, and Mm. he got the official word from big guy upstairs to do it. Oh, good. And also, in my my opinion, probably the most... The, the worst part of, of this of this heresy is again this this teaching on the Eucharist mm-hmm. that they say no it's the body blood of Jesus and Mary right. and the, <laughs> they strictly do a Latin liturgy it's not the Tridentine Mass though the Palmarian Mass takes about five minutes and then they go back and then they reprocess and it's processions it's procession after procession after procession. I for modern people on the go. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and oh boy, though you, you they they keep their they have in their compound of their basilica they have it under strict lock and key. They've got cameras and walls and machine guns to keep to keep us out. Oh my. Even though they consider themselves to be 
the true Catholic Church. So for those of you who might be Palmarians, I don't know if you're allowed to, I don't think they are allowed to actually research Catholic media. We invite you back into the Holy Communion with the Pope of Rome and the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Come back. Jesus wants you. We want you back. Stop being heretics. You should have said that in Spanish. I should. I, exactly. Because <laughs> the majority of them will not understand me. Yeah, there you go. Um, what I want to do is I want to take that, what you just read, that quote from St. Simeon. I'm going to post it on our website. Absolutely. When we, when we, um, when we post this episode. Yes. I'm going to post it on our Instagram because mm-hmm. what I really believe is we need... We need some help these days in yes. reflecting on our communion when we go mm-hmm. up and we receive the body uh, and blood, soul, and divinity. Absolutely. We really need something to kind of chew on and help us to mm-hmm. kind of get there because as Simeon says, we he really focuses on your it's the necessity of you to reflect on what you're doing in the sacraments in order to receive the benefits from them. Yes, yes. And so what I'm going to do is in good... Simeon fashion. I'm going to post that if you don't mind. Absolutely. Excellent. So do you have anything else for me tonight? Well, actually, no, Bill. I, again, I want to end on that note that you, that you had there, but also I want to encourage anyone, any Catholic or Orthodox East or West to reflect on the pre-communion prayer that's found in the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom that um, I, I confess and believe that you are truly Christ. That is a prayer to, the, to Christ present in the Eucharist. And you know what I, I found, especially as I, I am a revert or transfer over from the Roman Catholic Latin Rite as well, Bill. Mm-hmm. And I found that even as a Latin Rite Catholic, reflecting on those words, like, I would do it at before receiving any Eucharist, any in, in Holy Communion. It's just words that are necessary, words that are words that are proper and fitting. And I and I and I think too that you're you're absolutely right, right, Bill. The problems in the church are only going to be healed through the graces that come through the sacraments. And that's what I truly believe. Awesome. And I also just want to say, please check out my yes. wonderful wife's plug it, plug it, plug my, it my wonderful wife's website, www.thebyzantinelife.com. That's right. I'm here representing her, representing our our vision and our mission for creating family focused Byzantine Catholic content for the internets. Mm-hmm. Look us up. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Patreon. Hit us up. Support us if you can, but also pray, get back to confession, let's restore the church. Awesome. We, we've given you a shout out before on this podcast. Did you know that? No, I'm sorry, Bill. I've been crazy. On the episode of St. Oh. Demetrios. Oh, no way. We're like, go read their article. We Thank left you. Out. We Thank left you. out um, the information on, we didn't talk about the murbearing aspects of the item. Right. And so we said, go to their article because they include it. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. I've, you know, it's crazy when you have kids, time ceases to have meaning because Mm. you never sleep or eat or pray. If you're like me, don't be like me. Eat, sleep, and pray. Be healthy and holy. It'll get you down. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Lyndon. Thanks, Bill.